Welcome to the Sages Among Us. What makes a community great? Most importantly, it's the people who live and work there and are engaged in community life. The Sages Among Us focuses on those people, what they do and why they do it, and celebrates the leadership, time, and energy they bring to making a positive difference for all of us. And indeed, welcome to the Sages Among Us on October 20th, 2021. I'm Keith Porter, your host today, and my guest today is Lisa Moon. Lisa is a retired optometrist. She's a business owner. She's an actor. She's the founding president and artistic director of Community Asian Theater of the Sierra, which we'll conveniently call cats from here on. She's a survivor of a cerebral hemorrhage, and she's a grandmother in training. So, Lisa, welcome to the hot seat on the Sages Among Us. Thanks for being here today. Well, thank you for inviting me, Keith. You bet. Uh, I think there are an awful lot of people that know you in our community and even beyond, and uh, I think they'll be very interested in hearing more about you. And uh, uh, let me just share a little bit of your background with our audience, and then we can get into more detail and talk about your role in the community. Uh, You were born in Cambridge, Massachusetts. You grew up in San Francisco. You got your Doctor of Optometry degree from UC Berkeley. You married a local guy, Jerry Chan, and you together set up your practice in Grass Valley. Uh, You've worked at that for a number of years. It's still in the family. You are the founding president and the artistic director of CATS. That's the Community Asian Theater of Sierra. You've survived a serious stroke. You're a grandmother, and you like to read, act, and bake. How's that for a thumbnail sketch about Lisa Moon? (laughs) Did we cover the waterfront? (laughs) I like having fun. Okay. Well, let's dig into the details about you, your work, your civic engagement. You had so many interesting and varied life experiences that, you know, we're not going to barely scratch the surface in 30 minutes, but we'll give it a go. So let's go all the way back to your beginnings. Uh, I understand your parents met in China. Your father went there to learn Chinese, and your mother was a student there at the same time, uh, a native Chinese. Uh, She defied her wealthy parents' opposition, married the poor American, and came to the U.S. So tell us how all of that impacted and affected your family and and your own life experience as a young person. Well, my parents were very hard workers. My father was born in Berkeley, California, and he wanted to learn how to speak better Chinese. So he went to a Chinese university called Lingnam University, and it's kind of like Stanford, but it's it's in China. And when my mother met him, he was considered an overseas Chinese or an American-born Chinese, an ABC, American-born Chinese. And she called him an alien. In fact, she called all the overseas Chinese people aliens. But it was, what was interesting is that after my dad died, my mom has this bamboo purse that my dad gave her. And it was filled with letters that he sent her. And so this is right after his funeral. I reached into the middle of this purse that was full of letters and pulled out one and looked at it and it was the very first letter he wrote to her and it was how he felt when he met her 
it was like, whoa, this is really, who, who pointed me to that particular letter to pull out wow. of that stack? Was, was, was it romantic? Did, did you... It was very nice. It was, he, he, he was in school, in class, and he's going, it was so boring, it was so slow. But right after he met her, it was like time could not stand still. He wanted time to stand still because he was so enchanted with her. Wow. So that was the start of it. And so then he was, um, he received a scholarship to go to, and he got it um, accepted at Stanford and Berkeley and Harvard. And he had to decide which school he wanted to go to. So he decided he would go to Harvard for his master's in business because Harvard has a really good name. Indeed, and, indeed. Yeah. So he did that. And. Mom followed him. She decided she would marry him, but her parents, were, her mother was saying, nope, you can't go to America. It's too far. We don't know anything about his family. You're going to be all alone. And no, you can't go. But her father saw something in my father and said, no, he's a really hard worker. She will be okay. So he gave his permission for mom to come to the U.S., well, which she did, and for, fortunately for you, right? I know, yeah, I know. <laughs> and she worked really hard when she came over to the U.S. She was wearing a full-length sable coat, and because she's well, they came from a rich family, and but that's pretty much what she brought over, and she didn't know how to cook. So Dad had to teach her, and being a poor student, he taught her how to make spaghetti. <laughs> and so to this day, she refuses to make spaghetti. Uh-huh. So <laughs> how, did, how did that mixed cultural background, I mean, that must have created some family dynamics and things. How did that impact your life? And was that something you talked about and worked through, or was no, it something actually, that just happened? It was, no, it was just, that's just the way it is. and. Mm-hmm. Um, mom and dad might speak to each other in Chinese, or my mother might tell me things in Chinese, although she was really fluent in English, too. She studied that in college. So um, they would speak to me, and I never in my mind went, okay, they're speaking to me in Chinese, now I need to answer in Chinese. I just answered in English. So I'm, I grew up bilingual, and I understand Chinese, I understand what people are saying, but my tongue doesn't work for me to answer them in Chinese. Oh, okay. Well, that, that's that's half bilingual anyway, then. Huh? Maybe three quarters, <laughs> if you understand it. <laughs> I understand it, uh, but I don't speak it very well. So you were born in Cambridge, in Massachusetts, but mm-hmm. then uh, your family came to San Francisco, where you grew up. So what did your parents do professionally, and what brought the family to San Francisco? Well, after my dad graduated from Harvard with a master's in business, he couldn't get a job in Massachusetts because he was Chinese. So he decided, well, he has family in California, so he came back to live in Sacramento where his sister's husband had a chain of grocery stores. So dad worked as a butcher. He worked as a a clerk in the grocery store. Wow, with his with his Harvard MBA. Wow. Yes. Yeah, he did that, and then uh, that didn't work out too well. So they decided to 
moved to San Francisco where he has other sisters. So we live there in San Francisco. And Dad found work as a consultant for the state of California. And my mother, she was, again, college-educated. She studied sociology at Lingnam University. She spoke English. So when she was, when we were at Harvard, she worked in the, the Chinese library so to make some, some money. And then when we moved to Sacramento for a little while, she worked for S&W canning vegetables. She hated that. She refused (laughs) to eat canned vegetables. (laughs) So then she was very bright and started working for City Hall in San Francisco. And then they had this test. They wanted to see how people did with computers. She took this test, did scored very well, so she started doing data processing. And then she was working for the U.S. Mint at, in the payroll department, so she was actually doing the payroll for Jimmy Carter's cabinet. Wow. Not, yeah, not for the president or the vice president, but for the cabinet. And by the time she retired from the payroll department from the, at the U.S. Mint, she was considered the highest paid woman at the U.S. Mint in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So quite an accomplishment for this girl that came from China. With her sable coat to marry the alien. <laughs> well, I know. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. Well, uh, there, there's so much more we would we probably want to talk about there, but we also obviously want to talk about you and your your background and so forth. Did you have siblings, Lisa? I have a brother who's nine and a half younger than myself. He's in the computer business and, or I guess, IT. And my sister, Selma Moon, was a brilliant person. She was running for office in Oregon. And she was, in December, um, killed in a car accident. She got run over, crossing the street in her neighborhood. Oh, I'm sorry. Just this past December? Yes. Well, we were very close, but it was was devastating. Oh, how sad. I'm so sorry. Yeah, and her husband is very, I mean, she was the glue that held their family together. So... He's running for governor of Oregon, so vote for Bud Pierce for governor. Bud Pierce, okay. But Bud we, Pierce. We, we can't do politics on this show, but okay. it's in Oregon, so you think we're probably safe. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm Keith Porter. My guest today is Lisa Moon. She's a retired optometrist, business owner, actor, founding president and artistic director of CATS, and a cerebral hemorrhage survivor, and a grandmother in training. So, Lisa, to you now. Um, were you a good kid, obedient kid, or did you have some of that <laughs> rebel streak from your mother? Well, I always thought I was a good kid, but I asked my family, did I, was I good when I was growing up? Because <laughs> I've been telling them stories, and they, they all said, uh, no, you weren't. So um. I went to a preschool when I was growing up, and they served some hot lunches. But I did not like the S&W green peas that they served. <laughs> you, you knew all about S&W green peas. Yeah. <laughs> so what I did was, 
Okay, now kids, if you're listening to this, do not try this at home. <laughs> so what I did was I took a fork and had the prongs facing me. And if you put a green peas on the end of that fork and you pound your fist on the fork tines, you can catapult those peas straight up so that they would stick on the ceiling. <laughs> I did that at lunchtime, and it was quite fun. And all the kids around me were doing the same thing. So my family said I was a leader in training. <laughs> all right. Well, you're not teaching that to your granddaughters, are you? No, not at all. But it stuck <laughs> okay. up there, and then the nuns came by, and they swept them off with a broom. Oh, so we were all hit with the peas that were stuck on the ceiling. <laughs> You've got them in your hair and all that, probably. <laughs> so, so, Lisa, as you grew up, you attended USF and then UC Berkeley, and you received your optometry doctorate. Uh, why did you choose to study optometry? Oh, that's because I was very nearsighted as a child, and... Um, I always had my eyes tested and went to an optician who, who filled the prescription. And he always asked me, do you want to wear contacts? Well, one year I said I did. I want to wear contacts. And he tried to fit me, but was not successful. I couldn't see with those lenses. Mm. So he kept trying and trying different ones. So he finally sent me to Dr. Daniel Weinstein in San Francisco, who was a contact lens specialist. And I really liked Dr. Weinstein. So he, he fitted me after two tries. And it was still, to me, not perfect. So I decided that I'm going to learn how to do this right so that I can see with my contacts. <laughs> For yourself. So, huh? <laughs> yes, I'm going to do it myself. Oh, my. So, that's got me started. Okay. And I liked what he did, so I thought, hmm, I want to do this too. And I, so I applied to optometry school, and I had already been taking all the right classes at USF to get into optometry school. Okay. And then uh, as part of that, is that where you met Jerry, your husband, uh, in, in Berkeley? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I did. I met him there, and he's always been my best friend. We've been married for 44 years, and he is my best friend. He knows me better than I know myself. Wow. Well, and so uh, you kind of followed in the same pattern as your mother in terms of following your husband, right? Because he was from Grass Valley, and when uh, you decided to start a practice together, you came back to Grass Valley to do it, right? We did. He always wanted to come back to Grass Valley, and I'm going, what? What is Grass Valley? <laughs> the, the sticks, huh? Well, and so he brought me up here, and he took me on a ride around Grass Valley, and... If you go down McCourtney Road, you go past the Sixby Horse Ranch, and then you hit the dump. And the dump was so nice. I was really impressed with the dump. <laughs> really? <laughs> Most said, people... Hey, the dump is that nice. Hey, I can live here. Most people that have chosen to move or settle in Nevada County don't cite the dump as their <laughs> drawing card, but whatever worked. It's, it's great that it worked for you. It did. <laughs> yeah. And you, had a, a, you purchased a practice on Bank Street. You said you had 700 square feet of space. That must not have lasted very long. No, it didn't. And that was really nice. We had talked to the doctor, uh, actually Dr. Robert Ross, 
was Jerry's optometrist growing up, and Dr. Ross had a practice on Mill Street. So we asked Dr. Ross, are you ready to retire? And he goes, no, I still have kids in, in high school. So, but why don't you go talk to George Bowles, who's around the corner on Bank Street? So we talked to George, and we told him, we just thought, well, okay, we'd like, we'd like to buy your practice. And what was nice about George is we offered him an amount, and he said, that's too much. Oh, my. That's an unusual uh, negotiation. I was in negotiations with the doctor I was working for in San Francisco and San Mateo. And every time we had a meeting, he always said, nope, not enough, not enough. And he, so that didn't work well. But when George said, that's too much, it's like, what? <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> so he says, come back in two weeks and let's talk about it again. So we went back in two weeks and we said, George, you know, we thought about it. And we'd like, we think that that's a fair amount and we want to keep it at, like that. And he says, well, let me tell you what's happening. In the two weeks since you've been gone, two other doctors have approached me wanting to buy my practice. So I said, well, who were they? And he told me who they were. I'm going, oh, my gosh, we can't compete against them because they're established doctors. One was in, I think, San Mateo. No, no, one was in San Diego, and he was a well-known speaker. And I thought, wow. And then there was another person who was um, very well-known. I'm going, wow. I said, well, well, what did you tell them? Because I thought, oh, well, he's going to sell to them because they they're so rich. And he said, well, I told them I'm going to sell to Jerry and Lisa. So that was so nice. Oh, wow. Yeah, well, that, well, well welcome to a small town where relationships count, right? It does. And yeah. we always kept them on. So we just said, George, we just when patient calls to make an appointment, we're going to... Just say, would you like to make an appointment with Dr. Bowles? Because this was your practice. And we did that for a while until he said, will you stop doing that? <laughs> and I said, well, well, what are we going to tell them? He says, just tell them I'm retired. There you go. So we finally had to do that because he did not want to stop playing golf and come in to see his patients. Good for so him. Took over. Good for him and good for you. <laughs> Well, I know you moved, uh, I think, your practice twice, once to the Brunswick East Professional Center and then finally to where you, your practice is now on Sierra College Drive. And that was probably, I think, the time around the time when the community was really growing a lot because we had the uh, people coming into the golf course communities in Lake Wildwood and Alta Sierra and Lake of the Pines. So that must have fueled a lot of, uh, a, a lot of business for you and a lot of uh, effort to expand the way you did. Well, it did, but... Also, it helped a lot that there were two senior optometrists in town who were retiring, and they recommended all their patients to come to us. So it's like they retired, their patients came to us, and so our practice kept growing. Well, so we're very fortunate. Obviously, you did the right things and, uh, and cared for your patients, so that's that's uh, the, the rewards that you get for that. What would you say uh, are the high points for you of your 40-plus years in optometry practice? Well, the, the patients that we see are, they have all become our friends. And it's kind of like taking care of your family. I We have like four generations of patients. It's very fulfilling to see these kids grow up 
and become wonderful people. And then to see their kids, to have seen their parents and their grandparents, it's lots of fun. And so patients, because we form this really nice relationship, and they would say, I don't want you to retire. So tell me you're not going to retire so I can see you again. And that's when I would tell them, you know, I am having so much fun. I'm not ready to retire. So I never planned to retire. Well, let's talk about how you did retire in just a second. Let me just tell folks that you are listening to The Sages Among Us on KVMR. I'm Keith Porter. My guest today is Lisa Moon. She's a retired optometrist, now retired, (laughs) uh, business owner, actor, founding president, artistic director of CATS, and and, uh, we want to talk about your uh, stroke surviving, and uh, you're also a grandmother in training. We'll talk about all that, but let's go back then to retirement. And what caused you to retire, the health issue? Yes, it was very sudden. I was at the Nevada County Fair, which I go to every day, (laughs) because Jerry has such fond memories of the fair that we need to go every single day, every year. So I was at the fair standing at the pine tree stage on the bleachers, at the upper bleachers, watching my friends dancing and thinking, you know what, they are having so much fun, I'm going to jump down and join them. So I stood up and then I was listening to the music and it suddenly got in my right ear really loud, like someone turned up the volume really, really loud. And I thought that was real strange. And then the volume was turned down, so it was completely muffled. And I thought, this is really, really strange. What's happening? And then I got this really bad pain above my ear, in my head, kind of like an ice pick to the brain. Oh, boy. Yeah, I don't know if anyone's ever done that, but it, it hurts. So I thought, uh-oh, this is not good, because I've always heard from patients and other people that have had strokes that a cerebral hemorrhage is very, very painful, and it feels like an ice pick to the brain. So then I kind of leaned against Jerry, and I kind of slid down. I told him I don't feel very well, and he said, do you want to put your head down on my lap? So I started to lean down, and then I said, I can't, because it hurts more when I'm starting to lean down. And we have these good friends from Manteca who come every year to the fair, and the, the gal said, Lisa, do you want me to go find somebody to help you? And I said, I think, yeah, I think you better. Good decision. And that's very unusual for me because I would say, usually I would say I could tough it out. Right, right. But it's like, mm, yeah, go ahead. And so she ran, and it was really funny because nobody knew where the EMTs were. So she eventually found them. And for those listeners, the EMTs are by the horse barns <laughs> at the so, fairground. So, so now, just so now you all know. Now we all know. All right. Yes. And so she got, she told them that I wasn't feeling well. So they came, she got four guys, and they had no idea where the pine tree stage was. So she said, follow me. So four of the guys and Sharon are running through the fairgrounds. Then they see a guy passed out on the lawn, and the two of them stopped to help him. He was just passed out drunk. So then we had two guys that followed her to the pine tree stage, and they came up to me on the top um, bleacher, 
and they asked me, have you been drinking? And so I said, yes, all day. And I showed them my water bottle because that's all I drink water. And those people who know me go, yeah, that's all she drinks is water. And I said, I've been drinking this. I thought they thought I was dehydrated. But so I showed them that. Then they asked me, can you step down? I said, no, I can't really move. And so they did a fireman lift and carried me down off the bleachers. And it's amazing, but the people all in front of us did not part. They didn't really move outside. So and then when he put me into one of those um, carts that carries garbage and ice and put me in the front seat and... I said, I can't lay down. So the guy is driving through the fairgrounds, holding onto my sleeve so I don't fall out. And they get me to an ambulance, and all along I'm saying, I don't want a cerebral hemorrhage. And so then by the time I get into the ambulance, I'm telling the EMT there, I don't want a cerebral hemorrhage. And what's really amazing in the ambulance is the EMT was in direct contact with the hospital, giving them my vitals and just... um, it was really interesting. Oh. And then, so then, I don't we really remember much of the ambulance ride out of the fairgrounds. What I do remember is I got to the hospital and I was being wheeled out of the ER, and I don't remember what happened in there. But as, as I'm being wheeled out, the doctor was saying, you are so astute. And I go, well, what are you talking about? And she says, well, you said you didn't want a cerebral hemorrhage. And I said, I don't want a cerebral hemorrhage. And she goes, you're so astute. That's exactly what you had. Oh, my. And I said, I don't want to be right. <laughs> so she yeah. said, we are going to airlift you to Mercy um, San Juan, and you're going to have some surgery down there. But the helicopter is out on another call, so we'll get to you in about two hours. So then I guess the helicopter came because Jerry asked me, well, how was the helicopter ride? And I don't remember that mm-hmm. at all. Well, Lisa, we're, we're going to be short on time here in a bit. So the, there, there's so much more to this story that would be interesting to folks. But you spent a number of days, weeks, actually, in the hospital, right, and recovering and, and went through a long recovery process. Is all that right? Yep. 21 days in ICU and about three weeks in a rehab hospital. And uh, you've uh, come back uh, in, yes. in terms of rehabilitation um, to yep. a large degree, walk. right? Yeah. I can walk. I can talk. I can go back on stage. I can do Zumba. I can babysit. I can travel. I'm, um, I'm back. Oh, excellent. Well, um, so let's just finish the, the question about your business. You're not actively working uh, in the practice anymore. Do you still have a business uh, ownership role with your daughter now who's taken over the business? Well, we pretty much turned the practice over to our daughter, Tiffany Chan, and she is brilliant. I can't think of a better person for us to turn the practice over to than Tiffany. And uh, are you involved in running in helping run the business part of it, or are you completely hands off, you and Jerry? Uh, we are consultants for her. Consultant. Yeah, that's a great role, and I bet that works very well. It does. Well, in our last three minutes or so here, let's just touch on your role with CATS, which has been very important in our community, Community Asian Theater of the Sierras. You're the founding president and artistic director, and uh, you've been doing that for a number of years, and uh, you still are, right? Yeah, almost 30 years. 
And how has CATS survived this pandemic period with COVID? We've had to postpone the Joy Luck Club twice. And we've been working on how to keep everybody safe, the cast, the crew, the uh, audience. So we've finally came up with a COVID policy, and that is anybody involved in the show must be vaccinated. So that includes our audience. We'll be checking temperatures. We'll be checking vaccine cards and IDs and mask mandates. But we want to keep everyone safe. And but we are planning to bring the show to the Nevada Theater next year. And sometime during the summer, the middle of the year, is that correct? No, uh, March and April. March and April. Okay. Well, something really to look forward to. Cats productions are always exciting, interesting, and so well done. And I know that's because of your hand on the tiller. You're the one that makes that happen. Oh, thank you. So- I believe in excellence in whatever I do. So what are the rewards for you in a, in a minute or so that we have left? Uh, the personal rewards from your civic engagement, from your work in the community and the practice, from your work with cats, what makes it worthwhile for you personally? To see that patients are healthy. We have found, with the equipment that we have, we have found retinal um, hemorrhages, retinal detachments, brain tumors, uh, just just so many different things, but we're able to to diagnose it and get the patient treated. And that is my joy, is to see people get healthy. Absolutely. Well, Lisa Moon, thank you so much for joining us today uh, and for sharing your story, uh, particularly your health story, your background story. Well, all of your story is all very interesting, and uh, you're a a very important member of this community, and uh, we really appreciate what you've done for us in so many different ways. Uh, I'm Keith Porter. My guest today has been Lisa Moon. She's a retired optometrist, business owner, actor, founding president, artistic director of Community Asian Theater of the Sierras, and a stroke survivor and a grandmother in training. 